Well, good morning. You know, since Christmas times uh, about Jesus, and that's what we're celebrating, we just decided to stay decorated for the whole year because we celebrate Jesus every week of the year. Actually, yeah, actually, in uh, reality, we, we were off. If we, the office was closed this week, and so uh, we told everybody to stay away. <laughs> but actually, yes. Um, we, uh, anybody have a New Year's resolution this year that I've already broke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't started mine yet. Uh, some reason, we, uh, the 6th, uh, we're starting on the 6th for some reason. I don't know why, because it's a better time to start. You know, I don't know, I kind of, these last couple of weeks have threw me off a little bit. We had service at time, at 10 o'clock. My family kind of like, hey, why don't we do 10 o'clock? We like that. And one of the, I think the first week we had it at 10 I went in to get dressed, and I um, was going to go ask my wife what she thought of what I had on, and as I was coming to get to her, she said, hey, do you mind if I shower, get the shower, and I'll go, okay, I'll get breakfast, you go ahead, and then all of a sudden, not realizing time, I just, I, I got to go, I got to so I left and came here to church, and some of you guys recognized it, and some of you didn't, but uh, I had two different shoes on <laughs> that day. And so I didn't get my wife's opinion, I got some of your guys' opinion, and I realized which one looks better now, I don't even have to ask her, I know now. Um, I went upstairs to tell Aaron something after I got done doing announcements, and he just started laughing at me. Um, and my kids were up there laughing at me, and so I was going to go home and change, but I decided it's already, already messed up, so it's all right. I had a lot of you ladies say that you've done that before, um, but mine were like brown and black, not like a black and a different shade of blue or something, I don't know. But anyway, we've, uh, we've, been, out, we've been going through Romans, and so we're coming back to Romans. We took about four, the month of December off from going through Romans, and so we're coming back to it. So if you haven't been around, you didn't know any of this, we got through the first 10 chapters of Romans. The, the series title was called God Revealed, and basically the idea we're trying to get at is we're trying to see who God is as we look at the book of Romans. Because Romans, if you ask, if you go back and study any scholar, if you study Luther, if you study Calvin, you study Wesley, study any of these guys, they all will tell you the most influential book in the Bible to them is Romans. And it's the most complete book uh, as far as kind of the gospel and what the gospel is all about. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. And Romans kind of, what, what it tries to do is it brings it all together. And going, this is what this is all about. Um, and so that Paul is trying to do that. And Paul, being a Jew himself and being converted to Christianity on the road to, to Damascus, he is trying to get, he's writing a letter to the Romans, trying to get them to understand um, how this all comes together and how this is all supposed to work out together and how we're all supposed to be in unity. And so uh, if you go through the book of Romans, the first four chapters kind of be, talks, reveals God's righteousness. And then five through eight, it creates a new humanity. You know, the Jews kind of had this idea that, they, rightfully so, that they were the chosen ones and that it was all about them. And so Paul's coming along, oh, no, no, it's not all about you anymore. It's, it's, uh, it's about everyone. And so he tries to help them understand that. And then in chapters 9 through 11, he tries to help the Jews understand um, how this is fulfilling God's promise to Israel because 
in their minds, they are the chosen people, and they're the people that are supposed to be um, the only, you know, God's special people. And then chapter 12 through 16 gets into, gets into the how of all this. And so today, this first day of the new year, I, I titled this sermon, Hope for a, a New Decade. And the idea of Paul was writing this as hope for all mankind, for humanity, that they would understand who God is and what God's plan was. And so as we, as we go through this, what I thought I'd do today, just to f- start us off, is to, to kind of give us a little bit of an overview of Romans. Because we, it's been a little while, you might have forgot, you haven't been around. And so to give you an overview, I want you to take out one of two things. I want you to take out your Bible. Or your Bible on your phone, because it's not going to be on the overhead. And so, because we're going to kind of go through this together a little bit. And so, I have no clue what page it's on. It's, some, it's after Acts. Um, it's after the book. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And then First and Second Corinthians go backwards, go the other way. Romans... Uh, Chapter 1, let me pray, and then we'll get started here. Father, thank you for today, for our chance to be together. Thank you for uh, your love, for your plan that you have that is so hard sometimes to understand how you've worked through um, us as people to, uh, to be deliverers of your message, but also, Lord, just to be, uh, you want us to be faithful to you. You've wanted us to trust you since the very beginning in the garden and through Abraham and through your people, you've asked us to trust you. And over time, we've struggled with that. And so, Father, I pray as we start here in a new year that you would help us, that you, Holy Spirit, that you'd open our eyes to who you are, to your word and help us, uh, just draw us to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 1 of Romans, I'm just going to kind of go through this for a little bit, if if you would follow along with me. Chapter 1, verse 16, uh, basically is what we base this whole sermon series off of, and really the whole book of Romans comes off of this. Uh, the gospel Jesus is basically the king and all humanity is under his rule. And verse 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's f- for it is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes, uh, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And so then it says, As it is written, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. And so that's the opening, that's kind of the premise of the, I mean, the whole book. The righteous shall live by faith. But then he gets into, if you don't have faith. And he goes into verse, basically verse 18, 19, 20, he talks about the wrath of God. And in verse 20 it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made. So people are without excuse. And so, you know, you say, you know what? You've known this. You, it has been perceived from the very beginning of time. But he goes in and he goes, what happens though is, he says, God gave, he says, God gives us up to our lust. In verse 25, he says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, the create, creature rather than the creator was blessed forevermore and so he says what's your he says you know what i created you i made you but what you're doing is you're you're worshiping creation 
You're, you're following creation. You're following the things that are. You're not following me. And so he says, he goes on to say he, give, he gave them up to that. He gave them up to their depravity and says, okay, if that's the direction you want to go, then, then that's where we're That's God's wrath. He says, you, you, you follow down that road, you end up where? Nowhere. And so that's his setup. And so you, we went through this. And I don't know if you remember when we were going through this, it's like, oh, those bad people. Look at what they do. They're horrible. They, they do bad things, and they're evil, and they're slanderers, and they're haters of God, and they're inventors of evil. And we're thinking, yeah, Paul is talking about these bad people. Remember this? And so as we went through it, we, we see this. And all the nations are trapped in sin, and there's idolatry. And as we sat back and looked at those people over there, he's like, they're bad. And then you get into chapter 2, and he tells people that they have no excuse. And he starts to begin to talk, to, he starts to talk to the Jews and talking to them about even you guys. I have some issues with you guys. I have issues with you. And then you hear, he, as he goes through that, you know, basically saying all Israel is trapped. Oh, nice. <laughs> I know, you guys you got another sermon on, hold on back there. <laughs> we'll wait. Maybe, or maybe we should listen. <laughs> No, but he, as we went through chapter 2, it basically Paul's talking about, you know, Israel, the, the Jews, you're, they're trapped too. It's not just these people that are evil, evildoers. It's like basically he's talking, the Jews, he said, you guys too. It's not just about you. It's about everybody now. And in verse 6 he says, he will render to each one according to his works to those who by practice in well-doing, seek glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. And so he's saying, who are you seeking? Are you seeking God or are you seeking creation? And he keeps going. And it gets even into the teachers of the law. He's saying, when you teach others, in verse 21, he says, when you teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? And what he's trying to get at here with these people is saying, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, this idea of just listening to the word. It's about your heart. It's a heart matter. It's all about who you are. And so he's getting, trying to get these guys to understand, the Jews to understand this. You know, you have the Torah, and so, so he's talking to the sinners, he's talking to the Jews, he's talking to the Jewish leaders, and basically he gets to, he's just talking to all of us, saying that, that at the end of the day, this is what it is today. And the good news is this, is Jesus has overcome, that he resurrected, we see in chapter 3, and that we're justified by not what we do, but we're justified by what? Faith. Good, four of you know this. You, got it. you have to know this. We're justified by what? Okay, good, good. And, he, and if you're, you're declared righteous by what Jesus did, and so we have a new status, we have a new family, we have a new future. And what he's trying to get to us. And so we are now in Christ. And he's trying to help us understand that in, in chapter 3. And then he gets into chapter 4. And he gets into this idea of Abraham. Because he goes back to Abraham and he says, you, you know, I understand that you think Abraham is the father of the Jews. And okay, he is the father of the Jews. But he's justified. But he's counted righteous because of, what he has, because of his faithfulness to God. Not because he's just the father of the Jews, but because of his, his righteousness. I, I believe Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as, in verse, 
in verse uh, 3. It says, For the scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so it goes through this. And uh, verse 13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heirs of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so was it by the law that, they were, that he was so special? It was because of his what? Faith. Good, we're getting this. Good. And so as we, you know, it's basically through the seed of Abraham, not through the, you know, I thought it was through the seeds of it. No, it's through the seed of Abraham who ends up being Jesus. That's what ended up. He knew that from the beginning that was going to happen. And so all, chapter one, all humanity is trapped in sin. And then chapter two, we're rescued um, uh, by what, not by the law, but by what Jesus did. And God's righteousness has rescued us. And then in verse chapter four, we're here to create a faith-based, multi-ethnic uh, family. Now, did anybody realize that we're multi-ethnic? Uh, I know that we're not always multi-ethnic here, but that's was his intention. It wasn't just going to be the Jews, it was going to be the, the Gentiles. And then in chapter 5, he goes, and he starts talking about Adam. Uh, chapter 5, no, in chapter 5, he starts talking about faith. And so it says, through, verse 2 says, Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so we are, uh, because of what he's done, not just the Jews, but now all of us can rejoice because of, of what Jesus has done. And we're justified down in verse 8, uh, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. What happened? Christ died. And then verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. And so justification comes through what Jesus has done. Justification doesn't come through what you have done. And so it's very important that we understand that because sometimes we get all messed up in ourselves and we're thinking, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I gotta. Well, you do that because you're in Christ. You don't do that because you're trying to gain approval. See the difference? Huge difference in that. And if you don't grasp that, you don't understand that Christianity is going to be really, really hard for you. Because what he's trying to get through in this whole book of Romans is that you're justified by the blood of Jesus. And you're saved by grace through faith in him. And so we're, we have, we're faithful and we're obedient to him. It's a gift to us. And now he's, trying to, he's talking about this new humanity. And then chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Since we're saved by grace and it's not about what we do, what's he, what shall we say then? Are we continued in sin that grace may abound? Paul understands what they're going to say, right? He's like, well, gosh, if we are saved by his blood, by what he has done, and not by what we have done, then let's just go party. Let's have fun. Well, we can have fun. But he's saying, by no means, you're not going to just, but grace be abound. He says, how, how can we who died in sin still live in it? Now, if you have been in sin, when you're kind of going down that road, you know, of sin, does it ever lead to good stuff? You might be, well, for a minute, maybe. And then it ends, oh, what did I do? And that's humanity over and over and over again is when we, and God says, he says, if you want to, I want to give you over to your sin, if that's what you want. And he's saying, I'm giving you a new way. I'm giving you grace. 
And because of that, you now have life. And so he goes, verse 16, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to what? Or by obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so we're going to do one or the other, aren't we? We're going to be slaves to this or we're going to be slaves to that. And I think we, well, I know we've all been there to where you're like, okay, I'm going to do this for a while. And I was like, ah, oh, crud. And he says, no, you got to become a slave to righteousness. Because when you become a slave to righteousness, life, your skills fall off and life becomes a heck of a lot better for you. You're liberated. And then chapter 7, he talks about being released from the law. And then Paul has this famous speech that we all can relate to in verse 15. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I, not, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. And then verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Is that a mouthful? Do you guys get that? <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's like, you relate to Paul? Because I want to do really well. I wanted to read the Bible every day, and now it's the fifth, and I, have, I, I messed up. No, just kidding. You don't, you, there's not a law that you have to read the Bible. But at the end of the day, a lot of times we set out to do what we want to do. And the thing that he's trying to say here is it's not about what you want. You're in Christ now. And in Christ... It's not, it's not this works mentality anymore. It's Christ and what he's done. And you can, get, you can stop laboring and toiling over this. And he goes on and, he said, and he, we relate to him because it's like every time I try to do, when I try to do it in my own power, when I set my mind to something, he say, you know what? It's about Christ and what Christ has done. And he goes, the verse, closes out verse, chapter 7 and says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Said I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he gets into chapter 8, which is the greatest chapter. I love this chapter where he says, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, why do we like to condemn? Does it feel good sometimes? Or you just kind of want to? Or you just find yourself in that place where you're, you're condemning others because they did something you don't like? And he's saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Can you say amen? amen. That's freeing. And when you get that and when you live that, it changes everything. It changes everything. And he goes on in chapter 8, and he gets down to the very end, and he's trying to help us comprehend this. And he says, there's no condemnation. And then he says in verse 37, says, Now, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor any nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I, you could say amen to that. And so you get to this place, and Paul's talking to, you know, he's writing this letter to these people so that they could understand and that they can hopefully grasp this. 
But it raises other questions. And he says, you know, I'm speaking the truth in love. And he's realizing that his brothers, when I say his brothers, his Jewish brothers are struggling with this. And he's so anguished by it. In verse 2, he says, he's talking about, um, I'm, I'll go verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accused and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's powerful. That he wished so badly. You might have family members like this. I just wish they would know. I wish they would accept. I wish they would grasp this. Because if they grasped it, it would change everything. If they grasped it. And he said, I would give up. And that's huge. Because give it up, <laughs> give it up your position in Christ is not a, not a good place to be. And Paul's saying he's so anguished and so wants these guys to get it. And he goes, he, and he tries to get them to understand that it's, you know, he still loves them. But they, Jewish people are turning away. They don't, they don't, they don't accept Christ. And then, and then in verse 7 it says, And not all that are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, through Isaac shall your offsprings be named. This means that not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offsprings. And so he's talking about, there's two families. And I never really can greatly grasp this. It's still hard for me to grasp that you go through the lineage. You go back to Abraham and he has Ishmael and Isaac. And it's like, well, what happened to Ishmael? Why is he choosing one over the other? And then you have Isaac has some son. He has Jacob and Esau. And I, I still struggle with that. And that's what he's kind of getting into here. And he's talking about the seed of Christ comes through this way. And he goes down, and in verse 14 he says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice of God's part? And the Bible says, <laughs> by no means. You and I, as we read this, are like, it kind of seems injustice. I mean, what did, what did, what did Ishmael do? You know, we know Esau sold his right, and he's kind of done for that. But at the end of the day, I think it was going to happen that way anyways. And then verse 15, he says, For he says to mercy, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Is that heavy? It's heavy. <laughs> it's really heavy. And so he goes on, and he goes, and he tries to get them to understand. And he talks about some other, I'm going to kind of move through this, and then chapter 10, um, he gets into verse 3, he says, For being ignorant of righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Um, and then he goes, and he goes, Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, this is I'm down in verse 9, um, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with your mouth one confesses and is saved. And so there's no distinction now between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he's trying to get, he's kind of talking to, he's talking to the Greek people now, the, the Gentiles, and saying, you know, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, what's he say? You'll be saved. 
And so now he's basically trying to get the Jewish people to understand it's not about following the law and the Torah. It's about, do you believe God with your, with your heart? And I could say sometimes, even in Christianity, that gets to the place where the heart kind of leaves. And as long as we go to church on Sundays, and as long as you know, we're a part of something and we tithe, well, everything's going to be good. And I think what he would be saying to us is, no, not so much. And I want you to believe this with everything that you have. I want you to believe it with all parts of every, every ounce of your existence. Not just a portion, not one day a week, not two days a week, not with a little bit of your money. I want you to, to trust me with everything that you have. And so he goes and he talks to, he says, he asks a couple questions here. In chapter 11. In chapter 11, he says, did God reject Israel? Is this meaning now that this is the case? Did God reject Israel? And what's he say there in verse 1? By no means. And he says, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And so he says, I'm a, you know, I'm a living example and then he kind of goes down in verse 2 and he starts talking about Elijah. You guys remember Elijah when he went to, to perform his, his, his miracle uh, in front of Jezebel and he called down fire from heaven? Do you remember this story? It's kind of one of my favorite stories because he kind of talks a little bit of smack. And he's like, hey, where is your God? Is he on the throne? Maybe he's relieving himself and because it's not happening the way they thought it was going to happen. And then he calls down fire. Elijah does. And you know what happens, and then after that, after things are really good, what happens? And then things go bad for him, and he runs, and he hides under the broom tree, and he's there and goes, God, I am done. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And God says, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not done with you yet. I still got more work for you to do. And so they're saying, even with Elijah, he's saying in that particular case, there still was a remnant of people. That, and to understand this and to comprehend this is quite deep. This is one of the hardest chapters in the whole Bible to understand. It's because it's, the, and I'm not saying for my, just myself, but anybody, theologians, commentary people, there are, this is, it's, it's hard. And I will tell you this before I get there, Paul even has trouble understanding this as we get through this. And so he asks the question, are they rejected? And he kind of gives examples. No. And then verse 8, you know, the Old Testament describes the hardness God gave to those who rejected him. We see that through the Old Testament where he, he, he give people into captivity to Babylon. In Assyria, you see that his people are thwarted, they're given over to uh, captivity. And then he brings them back. And what does he want? What's his basic thing that he wants from the people? He just wants them to have faith and to trust him. But they continue not to trust him. And then, so the question goes, um, you know, did God reject him? He's saying, no, he didn't reject him. Then in verse 11, he says, well, do, did they fall uh, beyond recovery? So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And he says, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles as to make Israel jealous. And this is where it gets weird. It's hard to understand. You know, Israel's difficulty with the gospel, it says, led to the salvation of the Gentiles. And you go through this and you read through it in chapters, uh, going all the way through verse 16, he's trying to explain this. It was Israel's unbelief 
that benefited the Gentiles. And then he, he tries to give an explanation to this in verse 17. He says, but if some of the branches were broken off, talking about some of Israel, um, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, and he's talking to the Gentiles, and he says, don't be arrogant towards the branches. If you remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports. That's pretty deep. That's good. It's not you that support the root. It's a root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And then verse 22, it says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. And he says, Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. And I don't know, I went, we went through Romans a few years ago, and I, I read through Romans, and I grew up, one, you know, believing, I grew up in the Christian church, and a lot of times in the greater Christian church, there's this Armenian mindset that uh, you're saved by, you know, by kind of what you do, or God, you, you, and, and then there's this Calvinistic mindset that you're elected. And so I grew up thinking, but as you go through Romans, you can't help but under, go, God's going to do what God wants to do. It's pretty clear, right? God's going to do, and we can't even comprehend it. It's hard to comprehend. And so he goes on in verse 25, and he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A personal hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take their sin take away their sin. And then verse 28 says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. You spinning still? For the gifts of the calling of God are irrevocable. There's nice. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now are received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has co-signed all to disobedience that, they have, that he may have mercy on who? All. Now, this is where I believe Paul doesn't completely understand because Paul could understand up to this point. Because Paul could look at God and go, you know what? I don't totally comprehend all this, but I do know something that God works because one time I was persecuting the church and I was on the road to Damascus and what happened to him? He was struck. And he had an experience with God and because he had an experience with God, he's like, uh, uh, okay, God. And then God led him on a track and led him down this road so that he would let all be, he said, I'm gonna send you out. And he sent them out to the Gentiles. And Paul in this moment, he goes, okay, I have this experience. I know this is true from the very beginning. Going back to Abraham, going back to the very beginning, Adam, I can see how this all stuff lines up. And they're like, okay, now he wants the Gentiles in because he knows that because God has definitely led him in that. 
And now he wants his brothers to understand it. They didn't get the same vision that he got, so he's trying to get them to understand it. And he's desperately writing this letter so that they would understand it. But he had an experience. And God led him and directed him. And I don't know, but you've been a Christian for a little bit of time. It's sometimes hard to explain this stuff, isn't it? But what you do know is that you've had an experience once in a while, here and there, and God shows up. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt God is leading you, that it's God. And in that, you're like, I don't know. I can't really explain all this, but I know. I know God showed up. I, a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, we, during Christmas time, a couple came up to me and said, you know, you've been talking about God and how God works and how I, I, I and he said, you know, we were going to go on this trip and we're going back to South Dakota. And I can't even remember the details of the story, but I know a few different things happened. There was a medical problem with him. There was a house problem that occurred. And have you ever like tried to go somewhere and everything starts going wrong and it just frustrates the crud out of you? Because you're like, why? I just want to go on vacation. But what happened was is down there, a tornado struck South Dakota exactly where they were going to be. And they're like, you know, a lot of people think that's a coincidence. But me, I know, because I've experienced God in different ways. That's absolutely God. And this is Paul here at this moment, because Paul had an experience, and he experienced God, he was walking with God, and he knows beyond a shadow of doubt that he is true and that he is right. And he's trying to get these guys to understand, but then he gets to this place in chapter 11, verse 33, and he says something that all of us need to understand, and all of us got to grasp, because if you grasp this and understand this, well, then you fall in line, (laughs) In verse 33 says this, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth and the riches and the wisdom of, and the knowledge of God. What he's trying to say there, what he is saying, he's like, you, we don't, I can't really, I don't know. Be glad you don't have the same mind of God. And he's saying this to these guys. He says, we, we really, and he goes on and he says, how unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. And I read through this chapter this week and trying the last week and going, whew, how are we going to get this? I don't totally grasp it all the time and how does he choose some and not choose others? But at the end of the day, we don't always comprehend how he's working. We don't comprehend what he's doing. But at the end of the day, he works it out in his way. Going back to Abraham, do you think Abraham understood that Jesus was going to be who Jesus was? He just followed and it was right, he counted him as righteousness. He didn't see the whole plan. Paul here is not seeing the whole plan. He's not exactly sure how it's all going to work out. He's just telling them what he knows. But another thing he knows is this, is when it comes to the, the button of a, I don't know, we know from the Old Testament and what he's quoting here, is how unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. And then 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? And I don't know about you, but I want to serve that kind of God because I really don't want to be smarter than my God. I don't always understand how he operates or how he works. I don't comprehend it, I should say. I guess I understand it. But there's, there's verse 35 says, who has given a gift to him 
that he might be repaid. And then verse 36, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a whole lot of heavy, isn't it? But at the end of the day, he goes in in chapter 12 and he starts telling them how to live this life out. And you'll get to that next week. But he said, I'm, he, I just want to read the verse for you. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And basically what he's saying to these guys is, at the end of the day, submit to God. Trust God. You won't understand it always. You won't totally comprehend it always. But trust him. Because when you trust him and when you have faith in him, It'll, you'll, it'll come. It'll come to be. It doesn't always, you don't know how it's going to look. You don't know how it's going to be. But follow him. And if you want to look to the hope for our decade in 2020 or this next 10 years or this next year or maybe this next month or maybe just for today. Sometimes you don't understand why things are the way they are. And you look out and you see a, a president that can, you know, might be impeached. He, you know, he's or impeached, but I mean, who knows what's going to happen to him? You know, some people are like, well, he's going to be president again. That's what's going to happen. And some people place their hope in that because they think that a Democratic or a Republican president is going to be their hope. But at the end of the day, as Christians, Paul came in. He was kicking against the goad, wasn't he? Because it wasn't the right way. It wasn't the way that it always had been. He came in and presented a way. That was Christ. And for us as Christians in this, in this century, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow him? Are you going to trust in him and continue with him? Or are you going to follow what's popular? And I don't know about you, but everything that seems to be popular seems to fall. And sometimes even things today that we're, we're as Christians that we're kind of like, like looking down upon because we're not caught up with the times and we're not right. And, and we're this and we're that and we're called names. But at the end of the day, I want to follow Christ. Because when I follow Christ, it always gets me to the place where I have peace. Not so much that I don't have issues, because I've had some issues, because I follow Christ. But when you follow him, he clears things up. And so I would say in this year, I would challenge you to get into the word of God. I would challenge you, if you're not reading the Bible, read the Bible just so that you can know his ways. If you're not praying, seek him. Because right here we have a guy that is the counselor. It says, it says that, it said, who, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? I don't know about you, but I want that guy leading me. I want that guy directing me. I want that guy's wisdom. I want that guy's knowledge because I'm not sure. Because I, a lot of times I'm looking at two bad ways. And I want to follow the way that's his. Because they both look like they're bad. And so as we look to this new year, there's all kinds of things that are going on. But you've got to follow him and follow his ways. And a lot of times it's going to be intrusive. And a lot of times it's going to be not what you want. I know a couple, uh, last, it was two weeks ago, someone called and said, hey, can you go check on this guy? He lives in another city. And I'm like, okay, who is he? Well, some guy that's dying. I'm like, all right, I'll go see him. And as I went into this apartment, <laughs> the guy was incredibly angry, and he had a gun on the, on the table on a pile of rocks pointed at the door where I was coming in. And I'm like, oh, God, why? 
And it was just like, I don't understand. It just all of a sudden, my humanity or my depravity <laughs> flashed before my face going, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know. But this guy, as I walked out the door, I didn't lead him to Christ or anything, but at the end of the day, he says, thanks for coming to see me. You help me today. You give me some hope for today. And you never know what God wants you to do. You don't know. You don't know sometimes why you're doing it, but when God's leading and directing you, you got to follow him, no matter what it is. And I can tell you, when you do that, you get so much more peace, <laughs> and life seems becomes a lot more clear to you. And so my challenge to you this week is to let him be on the throne. And think about this in this way. What are you going to let him have? What are you not letting him have right now? What do you need to give to him? Are you giving him 100% of you, or does he get just a portion of you? My challenge for you this week is to every single day wake up and give him all of you. Do you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that gives us hope. Thank you for Paul's words that allow us to see clearly. Well, no, not so clearly, but helps us to see you clearly and helps to remind us that you are God and we're not. And when it sometimes it seems a little bit cloudy and it doesn't, it doesn't seem logical and I don't quite comprehend it, and even as you study and you try to figure it out, it just becomes a little bit more unclear. But Father, I know that you are God. And I know that you sent your son. And I know that your son came to save us and that he gave himself for us. So Father, I pray for us as your followers and as we look at a at following you that sometimes is becoming more and more difficult. It's not in vogue as it used to be. I pray that you'd be with us and help us, that we would stand by each other, that we'd lift each other up, that we would pray for each other, that you would help us through. And Father, I thank you for your son that gives us life, and that we are counted as righteous because of what he did. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.